0: Welcome to FF Plus, a new spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. Here you will find a little bit of everything, from what's been entertaining us, to trailer reactions, industry hot topic conversation, and even film award predictions. We hope you'll enjoy this addition to the Feelin Film lineup and join us each week. Now, on to the show. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of FF Plus. This week, Patrick is traveling and unable to join us, so you're going to get a double dose of the errands. That is myself and the lovely Aaron Hunley, who is joining me here tonight. Aloha. Aaron and I have a really great double dose of films to talk about as well. Both of these are high on our interest list as fans, and I will admit right off the top that I have been very satisfied by this weekend movies this this was a week that I was looking forward to all year long getting Pokemon and Tolkien at the same time and it has absolutely lived up to the hype that I created for it I'm really excited to dive into this we're gonna start by talking about Pokemon Detective Pikachu reminder that we are spoiler free we are not going to tell you any major plot points so you can feel free to listen to this and get an idea and a sense of how we reacted to the film, where we're coming from, and you will be safe to go see it and experience it on your own, free of surprises. With that said, Aaron, the plot for Pokemon Detective Pikachu, which is a little bit of a strange thing to exist in the first place, is this. In a world where people collect Pokemon to do battle, a boy comes across an intelligent talking Pikachu who seeks to be a detective. So Aaron, I want to know what you thought about this movie. But I want you to give the listeners some background first on where you're coming from. Like, what is your history with Pokemon, if you even have one? And then you can jump into your thoughts.
1: Of course I have a history with Pokemon. Um, I used to collect cards. I still have my cards, including my original Holographic Mewtwo. That took me forever to track down. I used to trade and battle with kids in my neighborhood. I played goodness knows how many different versions of it on Game Boy like Pokemon, I was all about it growing up. My dad thought I was crazy. He had three daughters, and I was the only one that was into super nerdy stuff like this. So I mean, and when Pokemon Go came out, can we all just collectively agree that the summer Pokemon Go came out was just such a good summer? It really we were all was. outside. Like, honestly, like it was great for me personally. But I think my favorite thing about it was hearing the stories of people that had like, severe agoraphobia that hadn't been outside in years that like took their mental health into their own hands. And this app brought them back to life. Essentially people with like multiple different kinds of disabilities were able to still use the app. And it just, it brought a completely different subset of nerd culture together Mm -hmm. that was just in a very beautiful way. You were outside from right before the sun up to well after the sun went down, just chasing imaginary creatures. It was amazing. And I used to work at Bellevue Square Mall whenever Pokemon uh, oh my Go came out and every single day on our lunch breaks. And after we got off, we would head right down to the park because we're right next to uh, Nine Tech's, uh, one of their headquarter offices. And so we'd be out there until the cops literally came and shut the park down. Like, it was so much fun.
0: Well, Such a good summer. That park is actually our main stomping ground. Still, my family and I, we go there for every community day. Once a month, Pokemon Go hosts this big event where they have a special like three-hour period that you can get a unique Pokemon with a a unique move set. And just for our listeners who are not familiar with Pogo, Pokemon Go, it is essentially an augmented reality game on your cell phone through an app where you can if you wish, you can like point your phone, look at the world and these Pokémon, these creatures will pop up in the world and then you get to be the trainer, play the role of this person who is throwing a Pokémon ball and it hits the Pokémon and the Pokémon goes inside of it. It's a way of way of capturing them. And it's so much fun. It's it's really the, the tagline for Pokémon is got to catch them all and for people who are big collectors, it's addictive as heck i'm still into it hardcore i play every single day but my family does as well and what is really neat about it like aaron like what you're talking about is the community around it i've never been part of something so crazy where if you go to these community days there's all these people playing the same game and they're all nice and they're all friendly it's really the best of nerd culture on display i don't see a lot of anger i don't see a lot of hatred or you suck because you liked this movie and didn't like that movie and stuff like I that. Mean,
1: I definitely see a lot of anger, but that usually oh. comes from like, especially the first summer when the app would just freeze or crash when you're trying That's to fair. catch like amazing Pokemon, like, Oh gosh, I just, Oh, there was a Gyarados that had finally appeared in the park. And of course all 300 of us were running in a wave to try to catch it. And, Like half of us, all of our apps just froze and just, and I get it. Like there's no way they could have predicted the massive insurgence of people that would love this app that much. But my goodness, did that make all of us mad? Yeah. But the cool part about it also is that you find people from different walks of nerd culture And like, I remember I found a bunch of Avatar The Last Airbender lovers while I was there in the park, and you are well aware of it, but I have a very, very deep, deep love for that show. It is still my go-to Saturday morning cartoon. It is one of the few television series that I actually bought the entire, like, set from iTunes, so that I have it in digital and on physical copy. Like, I have such a deep love for that show, and I remember we were in the park catching Pokemon, and uh it was some electric pokemon that came up and got away and i just started screaming sparky sparky boom man and like you just heard people from randomly all around the park just like avatar lovers just cropping up one by one so it just brings together a lot of nerd culture um and i just I, i i love pokemon for that and there's so much nostalgia and the fact that you get to bring your kids into that universe when you know we grew up with it it's great too so that's like Uh, A not-so-brief history (laughs) of mine with Pokemon.
0: Well, I love Um, that, because I think it is definitely important, and I I put this in my written review that I put out online today, that it's important for people to know, especially when it comes to an adaptation of a video game or a franchise property like Pokemon, something that people have a deep, deep love for, it's important for the people reading those reviews to know where those people are coming from, because it's just different. It's like going into Ready Player One and not ever playing a video game versus being a gamer for 25 plus years of your life and having familiarity with all of the games and the references. You just see the movie differently. So with that being said, now we know your background and your backstory. What did you think of Pokemon Detective Pikachu?
1: I thought the movie was really entertaining. Um, I thought that they brought to life a lot... like. The, sh- the movie definitely plays on all of our sense of nostalgia, like the amount of awes and oohs and ees that happened in the theater. We were all just so happy to see the characters that we love animated in front of us. I will say the animation was well done. It was so well done. I thought it was it was seamlessly beautiful. I thought they did a great job. The only times that you could kind of see it was awkward was obviously when they tried to like pet or touch or hold a Pokemon because they had to film with nothing there but I thought the actual animation of the Pokémon was beautiful. Overall, I mean, I give the film a solid like B. I don't think that it was like the most amazingly entertaining film that I've ever seen, but it serves its purpose. I told my boss today, my biggest concern is more for Ryan Reynolds and less for Detective Pikachu is it just felt like the family-friendly version of who Ryan Reynolds has played in almost every movie. Just with like the side comments and the comments under his breath, and like quietly like murmuring things, or just making like situations even more awkward, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. He does it very, very well, but I worry that he could easily become essentially the next Adam Sandler, where he's been playing that character for forty years and it's no longer funny, or it's funny one out of ten times he does it again.
0: That's a really, really valid point um, because it does feel like the PG version of Deadpool. I mean, there's no bones about it.
1: Those were 100% my words this morning.
0: Right down to a couple of fart jokes and just like the more tame version of the same joke that Deadpool would tell only it'd just be a lot dirtier. You know what I mean? And and, and it's, it works. It definitely works. Um, What I found really appealing about his performance here was he does bring that comedic timing that he's just so good at, but he's really endearing. And for some reason, his voice work matched with the emotional look of Pikachu, just the way that his face can droop and can depict all kinds of different emotions. Oh, my goodness. I mean, we all left there wanting to take Pikachu home with us.
1: Oh, cat. for sure. But, I mean, I wanted to do that before the movie, so I don't really know how much the movie had to do with that. I I mean, like, you know, when you first start playing on a Game Boy, you have to choose from the original three I was always a Bulbasaur girl, so like, when they... I, I was
0: Squirtle, so I wasn't Pikachu either.
1: Yeah, but when they, like, when those Bulbas cropped up, oh my gosh, my heart just, ugh, I was so happy. But, I mean, I think that the movie does a great job, like, personally, I thought the movie did a great job 75% of the time. To me, the ending was really predictable. I got there probably in the first about 30 to 45 minutes of the film. But, Aside from the actual full resolution, like the plot or like the like the villain of the movie, the plot of what they want to do, I thought was really well done. Um, I thought that they did a great job of talking about like the duality of Pokemon. Um, so I, I, I feel like the film is going to be a, a great family film, a great film for those of us that grew up with these characters. It's very entertaining. Like I said, it serves this purpose and it definitely hits that mark.
0: Yeah, I was not that smart i guess i actually was talking to the press rep when we got out of the film and i was like man that was so great and she's like you didn't see the end coming she said i i picked that out like right away and i was like nope i was completely surprised and so yeah, it just
1: seemed super predictable I, and like i'm trying really hard not <laughs> to give any spoilers but part of me was just like there's like a recognition factor that you would think would have happened right. and it didn't And what well, so... makes sense
0: after the fact of course but <laughs> at least to me but I guess I was just so wrapped up in the nostalgia, like you said, and being so ingrained with this. I mean, I'm staring at Pokemon like for an hour, probably combined out of every single one of my days as I'm catching these things at work while I'm, you know, in between phone calls or whatever the case may be, or I'm out going for a walk and catching Pokemon while I'm doing it or while my son's playing soccer. I was ooing and aahing just like crazy. Um, my kids were there with us at the movie and they absolutely loved it as well we all know that they look great. And what I was surprised by pleasantly was the story. Um, I thought it could easily have fallen into some ridiculous gimmick, this detective idea of Pikachu, but it's smart enough. And even though it's predictable, I think for the PG crowd that this is really targeting kind of in the middle group of ages and the family aspect, I think it's going to work just fine. Because it's not even if they understand it or pick it up a little bit early, what's going on, it plays out well. I like the fact that the movie is a noir in the beginning, and it really does have like some of the the famous noir sensibilities to it,
1: yeah, so, there were parts of that in the script that i I liked in certain areas, but the problem was they didn't stick to that theme, like it didn't open as that theme. And it like it was once he got to Rhyme City, and then after he met what's her face, like that theme just kind of like disappeared.
0: Yeah, Lucy comes into the picture. Really great acting, I thought. I loved the performances here. Um, she joins up with our main character Tim. And it's Tim, right? Think yeah, it's Tim.
1: Tim. Yeah, Tim Goodman. Honestly, Justice Smith, I enjoy him so much, and I'm so excited for him and for his future. Justice Smith is just. I thought he was hilarious in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom and I I personally have always had a soft spot in my heart for the guys that look like they're just super awkward but like it's un- it feels so natural it feels so unscripted awkward and I love that like I, I feel I feel very seen whenever <laughs> that happens on screen as I feel I'm like oh Cool. That, that's me. Okay. I'm watching myself. That's great. Yeah. Just like with the sarcastic comments and the quick quips, like he did such a great job with his material.
0: Totally agree. Um, and when, when she comes into the picture and kind of joins him, like you're talking about in Rhyme City, it does switch pretty quickly off of the noir feel. And then it becomes like this action venture set in the middle, ultimately going to what you were mentioning, the kind of big, crazy, and what I would say is very anime like climax. It just, totally embraces the wildness of the Pokemon world especially with regards to Mewtwo the big bad Pokemon that exists in this film and uh, it's just it's just nuts and i personally loved it so i was there for it i'm glad that you enjoy the heck out of it i think that it's absolutely recommended my only fear to be honest though is that i don't know how it's going to play for folks that aren't familiar with pokemon at all i've seen some of our friends who've reviewed it who even have some familiarity in their past and they're just they're not connecting with it in the way that i did or even that you did to a little bit of a lesser extent than i did i've heard a couple of comments from people who said they had no familiarity with pokemon they still thought it was adorable and loved it but there's just another level that it gets taken to when you know who these characters are and where they come from and, and their history and The film does a good job. It drops nuggets through dialogue without feeling like it's giving exposition to explain some things. Like in the very first scene, I think it's a really great opening scene. They meet a specific Pokemon, and he has a really, really tragically sad but also kind of funny backstory. And they, they explain that, but they do it casually. And then they kind of go into the explanation of what Pokemon is and how the battles work and stuff. And I just thought it was pretty well integrated, you know, the way that they tried to bring that to the general audience without just stopping the whole movie at the very beginning to be like, here's what Pokemon is.
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree. I thought that the blend of the story in the beginning, like they didn't open. I was honestly expecting something like much more comic book or anime, where like, every time they introduce the characters, like, they freeze but their background is suddenly like a holographic image and it has like a name tag at the bottom and stuff like that and so I liked that they eased you into the story a little bit um but the plot like there were points of the plot that felt rushed but like you said I I don't know how it's gonna play to people that don't have the nostalgia but thankfully there are enough nerds in the world to where there are plenty of us that are gonna enjoy it
0: Absolutely. And I think it's going to do gangbusters in uh, China and Japan overseas. Oh, gosh, it's
1: going to kill in Japan.
0: This movie is going to make so much money over there. Um, it'll be interesting to track and see how it does just here in the States and, and what kind of impact Pogo has had on it. Because Pokemon Go has really brought Pokemon to the masses, um, to a new generation of users, adults, getting into it for the very first time who didn't even play the games as kids. So it will be really, really interesting to see how that affects the box office numbers. Pokemon Detective Pikachu will be in theaters on May 10th. Uh, if you're interested, you can hear me raving even more about this film on the In Session Film Podcast later next week, I believe on Monday. I don't know what the day for Monday is at this point, but I will be joining those guys to talk about Pokemon Detective Pikachu. They're coming at it from a no-knowledge standpoint, so I'm excited to have that talk with them and kind of compare notes and see how we saw this movie differently. All right. The other movie that we're going to discuss or I'm going to discuss Aaron is uh, Tolkien. This is the biopic about professor J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, It explores his formative years uh, for the author and it helps him or looks at him as he finds friendship, love, artistic inspiration among a group of fellow outcasts at his school. Now, if you're not familiar with the name J.R.R. Tolkien, I don't know what rock you've been under, but this is the man who wrote the famous book The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings trilogy. He created Middle-earth as a whole and has a beloved fan following, a very devout one at that. I was super excited about this. So Aaron was talking earlier about her love and passion for Avatar The Last Airbender. For me, that's The Lord of the Rings. It will always and forever be my number one fandom. Um, I have a 2,000 plus piece Lego tower that I put together while watching the trilogy last year sitting behind me right now. I have special collector's editions of all of the novels. Um, I have all kinds of stuff um, related to this series. And it just is, it, it's very special to me. The Hobbit is my favorite book of all time. So to say the least, I was both anticipating and very nervous about this Tolkien biopic. Nicholas Holt Plays J.R.R. Tolkien, and I think he does a phenomenal job in doing so. And Lily Collins plays his wife to be Edith Bratt. Uh, The the biopic starts off with him in World War I. He was in the war. That's a real thing. It is part of the inspiration for specifically the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the way in which that story plays out, uh, with the battle leading to Mordor and trying to dispose of the One Ring. He is kind of flashing back throughout the film to his formative years in high school and then his early years in college. He goes through this friendship with these these three close, close classmates, one of which is his best friend named Jeffrey Smith. And these guys are all artists of different kind. One is a poet, one is a painter, one is a composer, and then there's Tolkien, who himself is obsessed with language and the arts in general. It's interesting because it shows very clearly that he was not a writer. And this is a true fact. He was not into fantasy writing. He was into the creation of language. And over the course of his lifetime, it eventually led him to creating the narrative of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. But it was all basically a vessel for him to explore the idea of languages. That's what he did for a living. That's what he studied and taught. I really love this film, Aaron. I was moved to pieces by it. Um, the score is by Thomas Newman. It's very piano-based and flowy, and I, I love his scores. You can pick them out when you hear them. It's very clearly his work. No different here. Cinematography is really good. It's bright. It's clear. There's some great imagination sequences where we get to see kind of dragons coming out of smoke and the fire and things of that nature. And honestly, it, it just provided us with a great, Backstory for what Tolkien's inspirational years might have been like. I think the key with this biopic for people to understand is that it's not about him writing the books. Okay. There are a few references to the Lord of the Rings or to Middle earth, to the Hobbit, but the movie ends with him beginning to write the Hobbit. This is not the story of what happened when he was friends with C.S. Lewis and actually writing the novels. It's about how he became the man he was that led to the man who ended up writing these books. To that point, there is one big thing that's missing and that is his faith. It's not really mentioned. He was an orphaned young man, lost his mom at an early age and was raised by a father in the Catholic church. That did help form who he became. And eventually his faith was also an enormous, enormous part of his writing. But, it's not really presented here because we're not talking about his actual writing. And so I just want to make sure that that's kind of clear for people going in because that is the one thing that I've seen a lot of criticism about not being included in the film. Other than that, I think it does a really good job for those that are not aware. The Tolkien estate is notoriously difficult and stingy with their release of rights to do anything with Tolkien's material And they had nothing to do with this, so they were not able to be consulted. Tolkien himself is not alive. So there are some artistic liberties that are taken here, but they all service the bigger idea, I think, for me of who this man was. And it comes down to that point again, what it was like for him to go through these experiences and how they shaped his inspiration to become the writer of these classic, famous novels. So I absolutely love it. Um, I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite films of the year. Again, kind of like Pokemon Detective Pikachu, I gotta be honest and say that because of my personal love for this man's work and my fandom for it, I know I'm coming at it from a little bit of a different place, but the acting is phenomenal, and uh it, it's really, really good. And I know you were excited to see it, Aaron. What is there anything that you're looking for in a biopic like this that... Maybe would upset you if it wasn't there.
1: I don't know if there's something that I'm particularly looking for. Like you said, I'm I'm well aware of how his family is with his with the rights to the estate, and I completely understand. I like fun fact. I actually uh, until maybe about two years ago, when life just started happening at a ridiculous rate, I used to read The Hobbit every year. It was part of my uh, summer tradition. It was the first book I read every summer.
0: It is. Um, the, I, I'm gonna inject. It's the only book in my entire life that I read every single year. So we are alike. I yeah. read it every fall and I try to alternate volumes. So sometimes I'll read it. Sometimes I will listen to the audiobook. Sometimes I'll listen to a dramatized edition. But I'm right there with you. It's my favorite I book can of all never time.
1: do audiobooks. I've tried so many times. I can't stand <laughs> I can't stand being read to. Like I have to reread everything I get
0: read to. Yeah you're um, a bit nerd. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. But um I remember when I was a kid, uh, my dad got me the animated or the cartoon version of The Hobbit. And um, I will never literally in the middle of nothing, nobody could say anything ever. And that stupid song from the movie will come into my head and randomly I'll just hear Frodo of the nine fingers out of nowhere absolutely out of nowhere. And it's the most annoying thing in the world. But the habit has just been like ingrained in my life. And um, I was really looking forward to this. I think Holt is a brilliant actor. I've really enjoyed watching his career blossom. And I'm really happy that he's being taken more seriously lately. I thought he was a great choice for this role i don't know i'm just i think i'm i'm coming into it wary just because i'm wary of all biopics that i go into just like i am with like Ro- i'm super excited to see rocket man but i'm also wary about it but i don't mean there's necessarily anything that they could exclude but i think that the disclaimer that you're giving is very important that people understand that this is not about him writing his most famous collected works it's about the life leading up to those moments And so I think it's very important that people understand that before they go into it for fear of that disappointment. Like, oh, I wanted to like as a writer, it would be very cool for me to see like I want to see his creative process that led him to create these things so that I can rip him off and then do the exact same thing. But knowing that going into it, I think it's very important to not necessarily know what to expect, but to set proper expectations for what portion of his life this film is going to portray. But I'm excited and I, I can't wait to see it.
0: Good, I'm glad. Yeah, Lily Collins is really his equal here, and I was not familiar with her as an actress. Oh,
1: I love her so much.
0: Oh, my goodness. So I saw her in this, and then also in, and I'm going to butcher this because I'm not going to remember it cause it's their own fault for making the title so long, but it's um the Netflix film Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Vile and Evil, or maybe Shockingly Evil and Vile, whatever the heck it's called. Extremely th-
1: Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile.
0: Oh, okay, I, Ted think I got Bundy. It one of the two times. Yeah, Zach Efron playing Ted Bundy. She plays his significant other in that film and she's phenomenal there too. I saw her back to back and I just, I was blown away by her acting ability. She's amazing and she is definitely one that I'm excited to watch in the future. And her romance with him is super important to who he becomes. And I really enjoyed seeing their relationship blossom because it gives, but it gives equal weight to like that and his friendship with this group that he calls the TCBS, this this bonding of these four artists who just want to be Renaissance men and practice their art. And they don't necessarily have the ability to do that because society has these expectations of them for different reasons. Um, and them trying to overcome that and work through it together as friends, it's really, really good stuff. So I think most people are going to, at the very least, Enjoy this, whether they love it or not, I guess time will tell. Well, with that out of the way, we are going to talk just a little bit now about spoiler culture. We're still not spoiling anything. Listeners, we're not going to like tell you how Endgame ends or anything crazy like that. But the fact of the matter is, this is a big deal right now with film fans. People who use Twitter and are familiar with the hashtag FilmTwitter, this is a bunch of folks who are all in an uproar over the idea of do you spoil or not to spoil? That is the question. So here's what it comes down to. I saw this post on Facebook recently that got me really thinking about this. And this is a critic from a Detroit Film Critics Society named Michelle, and she wrote this. She said, I guess I never noticed because I didn't watch the show till a few months ago. But Game of Thrones fans are the absolute worst with spoilers. Y'all just be posting them, literally seconds after the episode airs. No warning or anything. I have snoozed so many people on here just in case I can't watch the episode right away. Now, this is true. (laughs) What she says is absolutely true. Within seconds of Game of Thrones episode ending, and now they've all been leaking ahead of time, so even before, Twitter erupts with the memes and with conversation about the shocks that have happened in that episode. This leaves some fans at a disadvantage because if you can't watch the show in real time, what do you do? Do you just turn your computer off and not go online until you're able to do that? This has kind of shown its face with in game as well in a big way where everyone doesn't want to be surprised or everybody wants to be surprised. They don't want to be spoiled. And so they're, hypersensitive to spoilers. The conflict here is that film fans want to share in their discussion of seeing a movie or a TV show like Game of Thrones. Immediately, they want to react with other people that have gone through that experience with them. So where does the responsibility lie? Who's in charge of this? The Endgame directors actually put out a informational piece where they said that they were going to quote unquote lift the spoiler ban on in game Uh, This past Monday morning, it was right after the second weekend of the film. Now, I kind of don't think they have the ability, honestly, to like lift a spoiler ban. I mean, it really is. Each person can choose for themselves whether or not they're going to post spoilers, regardless of what some director tells them. But it's caused a lot of an uproar, and it happened in our Facebook group just tonight. Somebody posted a picture of a character in Endgame, and it's kind of a spoiler in a sense
1: well that's because he doesn't understand how Facebook works
0: that's true but like, and he, sorry, he, his intention that, was not that, to do that
1: I and I get that but at the end of the day dude well
0: so that's my question well, that's actually kind of ironic that you just used that word but anyway um <laughs> <laughs> so here's my question then for you how do you feel about this whole spoiler debate like what do you think how do you think that discussion online should take place? <sighs>
1: I think that it's a very, it's a very double-edged sword. Um, the beauty of social media is also the destruction of it. It's one of those things where we all love being connected, but unfortunately there are downsides to it. Um, I know that if I don't watch, like when I first started getting into Game of Thrones, um, I obviously was very far behind. Um, at that point, I knew that if I couldn't watch an episode right when it aired on Sunday. I didn't go on social media until I was able to watch it because I knew that there were going to be spoilers out there. That's just part of life. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. But at the end of the day, you've given people this speech, this tool for their purpose of free speech. And if somebody wants to air out something, then they have the, they have the right to do that. I understand that you don't want things to be spoiled for you. But at the end of the day, like you are still choosing to use an app that, you know, other people exist on and that they have the ability to spoil something for you. Nobody is forcing you to go onto that app. Nobody like if you use that app for your job, then ideally you wouldn't be on your friend's Facebook pages anyway. But at the end of the day, like we have these tools for a reason. You have to have self-restraint to Keep yourself off of them if you need to before you view something. Personally, I think that the Game of Thrones fandom, which I'm a I'm a part of, I will say that this is the first this is probably the only show that is as intense when it comes to spoiler culture that like over most other shows. I don't see anybody tweeting about Grey's anatomy the same way they tweet about Game of Thrones. But I think that it's 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 one of those things where it's a catch twenty two. Like if you want to use social media, okay, then be aware that this happens. Like I didn't post any of my feelings about Avengers Endgame on Facebook at all. Period. I put everything I cared about on Twitter. That is where I vent most of my spoiler my spoiler culture. Generally speaking though, like if it is a movie, I give people a little bit longer before I post anything across social media spectrums. Twitter's usually like my go-to just because you can sound off thoughts and honestly, it gets lost in the giant timeline of people that everybody follows. So it's not like it's anything that I have, like, if I search for this one person and look at their page, then yeah, I'm just begging for that to happen. But I feel like with social media, like while it sucks, nobody's forcing you to use the Facebook app, you're using it passively anyway, to, you know, count the hours or the minutes away, it happens, we all do it, we're all brain dead when we go on Facebook anyway. So if you happen to come across spoilers, while well, that sucks, if you know people are going to post it about it online, then stay off.
0: Yeah, I think, I think we probably land very similar then in that mostly the ultimate kind of like final responsibility lies in each individual. Yeah. To, to maintain their own ability to be surprised. And a lot of factors go into that. How quickly you go see the film. Now, yes, we understand not everybody can get out opening night. Not everybody can get out opening day to go see the movie. And so that sucks. And you may then be forced to, unfortunately, have to endure some time offline and out of your favorite film discussion groups if you haven't seen the movie or the latest TV show yet. But I think there are safe places, places like our Facebook group that is meant for discussion. You know, we went above and beyond to really try to corral spoilers.
1: 100%.
0: Endgame. And I appreciate that about any groups. But at the same time, there does come a point where... People are there to talk about it. And that's that's where you are. And and you need to manage your own place online. Um Twitter is scary. Twitter is just scary. And and well,
1: Twitter's just scary in general. In general, when it comes to spoilers.
0: <laughs> the spoilers, yeah. If you're if you're gonna use Twitter, you are using it at your own risk. It's really it comes with that caveat. So I think everybody needs to kind of subscribe to Will Wheaton's rule, first and foremost don't be a dick. That's what it boils down to. Rule number one. There is a way to talk about things without spoiling them. And there are places to seek out to be able to discuss things with spoilers, i.e. Facebook discussion groups, online forums that are secured and like have specific places to do that. And more fans need to do that. But the reality is everyone's not going to. And instead of getting upset and thinking that the world should change and everybody should succumb to a magical state of not talking about a movie until you have to seen it. I was like,
1: it just feels so, in, in a lot of ways, it just feels slightly selfish. Like I have to stop feeling or posting about my thoughts on my page because you haven't seen it yet.
0: Yep. Exactly. I think that's, I think that's what it boils down to. And so, I'm encouraged that I have not run into a lot of people in my own personal circles in life where they get upset and angry about it. I've seen people get disappointed and that's unfortunate, but mostly people have taken responsibility for themselves. I like the fact that the studios, at least with this Avengers in game they came out and they they went through this whole campaign, don't spoil it in any game. they really are trying to encourage fans to allow them people to see this. And get a chance to to witness it for the first time unsullied. I, th-
1: I thought that was really smart. Um, like once the movie came out or even like the week of the release, them talking about those things. But I have a really big problem with the way that Disney handled the filming of Avengers to avoid spoiler culture. So, like, there's the spoiler Mm. culture on our end as viewers and spoiling it to other potential viewers. But I'm sorry, almost every single star from Avengers Endgame talked about how unbelievably awful it was that they flew out to a set. They didn't know where they were flying to. They didn't know what movie they were filming. They got no script or no pages until the day they were supposed to film. So they had no pre- preparation to get into character. They had no idea what was happening. And when they got those scripts, every other character's lines were redacted but their own. So they had no idea who they were talking to. They had no idea how to deliver lines. And like going back and watching the movie, you're sitting there, you're like, oh, that's why that line is super flat. That's why this isn't land, or that's why this is super awkward. It's because they're just talking to a green screen. There's nobody there. And to do all of that to avoid spoiler, spoiler culture, I think is unbelievably ridiculous. Now I'm sorry, but it's Tom. It's Tom's fault because Tom's kid can't keep his mouth keep shut. keep his
0: mouth shut at all. No, and I
1: get it when you're super excited and it makes you an endearing Hufflepuff as much of a Gryffindor as you want to say that you are. But at the end of the day, because of that, it because of him, the, everybody else is now having to suffer when it comes to the filming. Now there's no way to tell whether or not they would have done this anyway had that not been a previous problem with him. But they hadn't done it to any of the other films before then. So it's it's a potential understanding thing that, like, this wouldn't be an issue without his participation in the film. But yeah. I think that to take it to that extent is is very ridiculous, in my personal opinion.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Like, you're you.
1: black-bagging actors and throwing them into a van and saying, okay, just do what you do best <laughs> the minute I'll let you out of here.
0: Yeah, and part of it is knowing contracts. I mean... It's open knowledge, and it's reported. I'm not going to repeat it, but one of the stars of the Avengers Endgame just got a seven film contract, and that was widely put all over social media, of course, and reported. So that takes away a level of surprise. Like, we know that character is going to exist for seven movies. When it comes to characters that were in Endgame, we knew that certain contracts were expiring, and that takes away, it's it's it, in a sense it's a spoiler right because you know that that person can't come back so they have to be written out somehow um and it's just it's it's intriguing how much people want to be surprised and and their expectations have changed and it's just a different world because knowledge is everywhere and it moves faster than light and you can't avoid it if you want to be a participant in online talk and and forums and having conversations about movies and TV shows with the rest of the um, world, then you've got to kind of like Bud says, instead of drink responsibly, you've got to uh, use social media responsibly. percent. Cool. Well, thank you for talking through that with me. Uh, it's been on my mind lately. And I, I really hope that if you're listening to this, you just come away with the thought that you're going to have to take some responsibility and maybe limiting what you want in order to avoid spoilers and that it's up to you if you think that being spoiled is a big enough deal then you limit your use of social media and you hide as best you can until you're able to see the things you want to see without being spoiled if not if their social media is more important to you then obviously you're gonna run that risk and you know take it on the chin because. You did, you know? Well, Aaron, this has been awesome. Um, I appreciate you coming on this week. This has been so much fun. I I just love these two movies. It's always good when I'm so high on them. It makes the conversation much better. It's also fun when we get to see them together. Patrick and I don't ever get to see anything together because he's in Arkansas, but it was fun to get to watch Detective Pikachu like literally next to you so I know what your reactions were to certain (laughs) things and you got to see me kind of geeking out at the same time. Listeners, next up for us, Patrick and I will have a conversation about Ladybird on Mother's Day. So you can look for that early next week. Aaron, again, thank you for joining me tonight. This has been a ton of fun, and I can't wait to chat again soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you.